Okay, well, welcome everybody and welcome to the podcast. Um, my guest today is Paul Edelman. And Paul is a, we'll put some slashes in her, psychologist slash coach, sex facilitator, you know, <laughs> works with families and stuff. I first met Paul uh, in the spring of 2022 when I spoke at the Attorneys for Family Held Enterprises. And then we saw each other again at uh, Purposeful Planning Institute's Rendezvous in, in July. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of the kind of families and things that he works with and the professionals that he works with. So welcome, Paul. Thanks, Rod. Um, I appreciate your inviting me to be on the podcast. Yeah, we're looking forward to this. So first, can you kind of give us an, you know, I, I put all those slashes in there. Can you give us an overview of what types of work that you do? Because I'm and just in our conversation, part of a lot of it's with families, but there's also some work you were doing with uh, inheritors. I mean, the rising generation. So yes, give us an overview of what it is that you do. Sure. So I, I work with individual family members, with couples, with the uh, intact family as a group, uh, with family offices okay. and their leaders, um, and with advisors who serve these individuals and families or family offices. And uh, among the family members that I work with, uh, I have a, a special interest in working with next gens. So, for example, I lead a, uh, a peer learning and support group where a group of next gens from uh, a variety of different family enterprises come together to share their experiences and learn from each other. Okay. And those are nationwide? Those aren't like regional? Yeah. So uh, thanks to Zoom, we're able to <laughs> collapse uh, uh, time zones. And so uh, uh, everyone in this particular group is from the U.S., but we have people from all three time zones. Okay. Okay. And um, as you come in to work with families, what role do you play? Um, is it psychologist, coach, or all of the, the above? Or Yeah. So I, I tend to not... Um, think of it in terms of a label like psychologist or coach. Um, uh, I just generally think of myself as, as being there to be helpful. And specifically, what I'm trying to do, uh, since in order to be effective, families need to be uh, good at collaborative planning, mm -hmm. problem solving, and decision making. And uh, when they're good at doing those things, they develop uh, a realistic sense of self-confidence in their own abilities. And so my goal is to help them develop that self-confidence in their ability to plan, solve problems, and make decisions, whether it's individually or working together as a family, a family office, or uh, a family advisor team. Okay. And so, well, how'd you get into this work? I know that there's always a migration for everybody we've talked to. A lot of us started out as attorneys and we ended up not being attorneys. So, <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Well, uh, there are seeds planted at different stages in my life. Uh, so first of all, I, I grew up in a family business. Okay. So I saw my mother and father working together and my brother, who's older than I, uh, began working with them uh, while I was st still pretty young, but eventually I came to work in the business uh, in high school and and uh, uh, through college in the summers and even in grad school. Um, so I had that firsthand exposure. Uh, meanwhile, in, I uh, uh, went on to graduate school after uh, uh, having 
studied uh, physics at, at MIT undergrad, I I, uh, I decided I was more interested in, in psychology, which I had kind of minored uh, in in college, and uh, so I went on um, to study psychology at Harvard. And uh, there were a number of exciting things going on at that time. This was the early 80s. And uh, uh, I was studying with uh, someone, uh, Professor Bales, who was an expert in group dynamics. And that led me to be interested in applications of uh, group dynamics in a variety of different kinds of groups. So one was families. Okay. Another was uh, boards of directors. And a third group was business organizations. Um, so that was an important seed that was planted. You know, I went on to uh, take an intensive one-year seminar in uh, family systems therapy. And there was a lot of excitement at that time because there was a guy named Murray Bowen. Murray, yeah, Murray Bowen was, that, yeah. was uh, <laughs> making a name for himself back then. And uh, there were others as well uh, in the family systems uh, field that was very exciting. And... Uh, there was also a new interest in lifespan developmental psychology. So um, uh, there was a book published uh, uh, by a fellow named Levinson called Seasons of a Man's Life. And a woman named Gail Sheehy popularized that study in a book called Passages, which was a bestseller at that time. And prior to that, developmental psychologists had focused mostly on children and adolescents. But what these people were saying in adult lifespan developmental psychology is that people keep growing, developing, and learning uh, throughout their life. And that was a relatively new thought at that time. And uh, uh, I remember in, in one of my courses, a, uh, a guest lecturer came in and he talked about the phenomenon of topping out in, uh, in, from the point of view of developmental life, you know, adult development. Uh, what happens if somebody achieves enormous success early in their career, the way, for example, a pro athlete might, right. uh, and they, you know, they they amass enormous riches, and then uh, suddenly, perhaps they're not doing what they used to be doing, and that creates a kind of crisis of meaning for them, and so that that planted a seed in my mind as well. Um, at the same time, there was a, a, a this budding field of of cognitive. Uh, psychology then that looked at uh, how people make decisions and what sorts of biases affect those decisions. And we, we uh, read the work of Daniel Kahneman, uh, who, uh, again, uh, was making a name for himself. He went went on to win a Nobel Prize. Um, and uh, uh, this was really where the seeds of the what's now called behavioral finance were, were planted. OK, um, so I became interested in that. And uh, and then there was another thing coming on in 1982, two guys at the Harvard Kennedy School, Deal and Kennedy, published a book called Organizational Culture. And that was a new word at the time. And uh, they um, focused a lot of attention on kind of the softer side of organizations, you know, how the interpersonal relationships and some of the... Um, social aspects of organizations affected the financial performance. And so, so all these seeds uh, were planted for me relatively early on. And uh, when I graduated, I, I went on to work uh, in industry and my first job was really as a coach. And uh, ultimately I began working with family businesses. Uh, 
then eventually I, I worked with a, a large uh, hedge fund where the founder had become uh, enormously successful and uh, public figure. And that's where I was first exposed to the concept of family office because okay. he had created a family office, which his son ran. And uh, I had occasion to uh, do some work with the family office. And I, I saw the dilemma that his son faced and uh, that activated in me a kind of sense of empathy for the challenges that people in his position would face. Um, so anyway, all of this led eventually to my um, uh, deciding to focus in this field. And uh, uh, when I first uh, got interested, I uh, spoke to uh, Kristen Haney at, at Legacy Capitals and she gave me some good tips uh, she suggested getting involved in the Family Firm Institute, uh, the Purposeful Planning Institute, and contacting uh, uh, Jim Grubman. Uh, I did all three of those things, and all three have been enormously helpful. Uh, Jim, in particular, has become a mentor to me, and uh, um, uh, that's been very useful in terms of my coming up to speed and you know learning this field. Yeah, and Jim, you know, Jim actually did a podcast with me. We were just talking about this uh, a week or so yeah. ago that we put that together, and it's and it's interesting as you look at that migration that you just you know talked about how much, um, especially in the '80s and '90s, we started realizing that things that we were doing in families and things that we were doing in business had a lot in common. Yes, and yes. you know before that it was kind of there's there's business and there's families. There you know there you know never the twain shall meet or whatever. And uh, I think at that point is when you started seeing, well, with, with Bowen, I do remember watching a video one time of him standing up in front of the class. It's a black and white video, smoking a cigarette as he's teaching, you know, the class. I mean, that tells you <laughs> that's the 80s. There you go. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but just that connection and understanding that some of the same things, a lot of the same things that you're dealing with in business, you're dealing with in families. Uh, it's just a different setting. But the concepts and the issues are the same. Yes. I, I mean, that's why I, I tend to frame what I do in terms of the uh, the processes that cut across different contexts. So whether it's business or a family, uh, the challenge still is, is getting people to uh, uh, work together to solve problems or, or plan or, or make decisions. Right. And, and so there's a, a lot of commonality. Yeah, I mean, and, and communication, you talk about communication, you got to have communication no matter where you're at. I mean, that's just the way it is. And yeah. I, I love the fact that you were just starting when culture was just getting started in business. Before that, what do you mean culture? You come to work, you get paid, right? That's you know, yes. We have to work about, worry about people things, do we? Yeah. Um, so how do you work with uh, like professionals? And, and let's, maybe we should break it down into different groups. But for example, the... Uh, uh, the people at uh, AFI, at the uh, Attorneys for Family Held Enterprises, those are, it's actually not just attorneys anymore, but <laughs> those are attorneys and other professionals that work with families who have enterprises. How do you normally connect with them and how does that work start and and, and work? <clears throat> yes. So, so um, attorneys, uh, accountants, uh, wealth managers, all of them have certain technical skills. Mm -hmm. And uh, ideally, when they're working with a client, things go smoothly. And uh, 
uh, I suppose, you know, we could ask, well, what does it mean for things to go smoothly? Uh, I suppose a scenario might be where uh, the client walks in, they, they say, look, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And uh, the uh, expert advisor says, well, I happen to have expertise in that area. And the client says, terrific. So how can we all work together to accomplish these goals? Right. <laughs> and then collaboration ensues. Right. Um, that's the ideal. Uh, if you talk to anybody in these various fields, you'll see that that reality often deviates from that ideal <laughs> <laughs> in, in ways that, that perhaps they could articulate even better than I could. But uh, um I'm sure there are images coming to mind for for uh, many who are listening to this call right now. Right, but all of those difficulties that that come spontaneously to mind of of these folks um, represent obstacles to them getting their ops, uh, expertise used. Okay. So, uh, so in other words, they prevent things from going smoothly. So the principal reason why an advisor would bring me in. It's because they want things to go smoothly and they want to have the satisfaction of having their expertise used. Um, some of the obstacles that crop up, they're equipped to deal with. But there are other obstacles that uh, prove to go beyond their training or simply more complex, or it would help to have a third party who's perhaps seen as more neutral right. to uh, help in navigating through those. And so that's when they would tend to... Uh, reach out to someone like me in one way or another. You know, and I've seen <clears throat> situations that you just kind of mentioned where just having somebody who is not, you know, mom and dad's guy or gal, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> when you start working with the family and has that neutrality, it changes the dynamic in the room, you know, and, and how the how the people work together. If if the next generations, the rising generations look at at you as Oh, you're just mom and dad's person. That's probably going to limit what you can accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in my role, I have to um, cultivate a stance of neutrality. Mm -hmm. In other words, everybody in the room has to look at me as someone who uh, represents a uh a force that will help them to accomplish their particular goals, uh, as well as helping everybody to maximize the achievement of the joint goals. Yeah, and <laughs> and then that I, I, what's fascinating is is like you were talking about the the work you're doing with that group um, of the the next gens from around the country. Um, this can morph into all sorts of different engagements. Really, it's not like. You bring you bring Paul in for this, and that's it. It's it's really more um, well, like I say, you, you've got the three things that they need to do. Okay, if if they're having trouble with any of those, that's when you come in. Uh, do you normally get introduced by the professional to the to the families? Well, sometimes it will be the professional who um, brings me in. Um, and, you know, there's a variety of ways that I can work. One is they might refer me to work with the client more or less independently of what they're doing. Okay. They might say, well, you know, why don't you go talk with Paul and come back? Or why don't you talk to Paul in between our meetings 
that sort of thing. So we can get some things clarified. You know, in estate planning, for example, um, there's a lot of questions around what is it you're trying to accomplish? What, what are your goals for, for your uh, offspring? And uh, once the family has clarified that, then the estate planning attorney is the technical expert who knows how to create the vehicles that will accomplish that. But if the if the family walks into the office and begins arguing over what they're looking to accomplish, um, it was funny. I was watching a, a TV series called Breaking Bad the other day, and there's a scene where this woman is confiding in her attorney, and she's asking essentially for almost like therapeutic advice. And the attorney says, I don't know why you're coming to me as your therapist. It's going to cost you twice as much, and I've got half the training. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, 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 uh, uh, she probably said that because, you know, she didn't feel it was a productive use of her time and she was probably feeling a bit bit uncomfortable in that moment. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, uh, if, if if an advisor gets that feeling, they, they might make a referral. The other thing is that, um, sometimes advisors want to build a team. So uh, they might want to have me in the room as part of the team that's working with the client, Uh, you know, especially if it's a complex situation with multiple people and the dynamics are getting complicated. It may be helpful to have someone paying attention to the group dynamics at the same time Mm -hmm. they're trying to focus on the technical tasks to be done. Okay. Um, So facilitating conversations is another situation. Another thing that I do is... um, kind of behind the scenes coaching. So, uh, or you could call it mentoring or whatever, but somebody goes into a situation, they have difficulty with it. They come out and they say, boy, I wish I could handle that better next time. Well, I can serve as a kind of invisible helper that they can call up uh, either on a one-off basis or on a regular basis to say, okay. And and this is how I learned to do what I do. I mean, in uh, coaching, uh, there's a model of, of mentorship where you, you practice what you're doing, then you go back and you talk to an expert and you you reflect on what you did and, and you figure out how to do it better. So they might say, uh, okay, here's the situation I was faced with. Here's what I did. Here's how it worked out. And uh, help me understand, you know, why it didn't go the way I, I uh, wanted it to go and, and what options do I have next time? So I can help them take a closer look at things and, and come up with new options. Can you do um, that proactively too? I mean, so like if I call up and say, I've got a case I'm going into and I know that there's this issue and this issue and this issue, like what should I be looking for? What, you know, do you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yes. So as I was learning, someone like Jim Grubman would do that for me. And today I do that for other people. Uh, even, even other coaches will c- come to me and they'll say, look, I'm facilitating this family meeting. We're going to give feedback. You know, we did this assessment and I'm concerned about how the leader of the family is going to respond to the feedback and the effect that'll have on everybody else. And we'll talk through, uh, you know, I call this uh, process anticipatory planning. Yeah. You anticipate what's going to happen and then you try to plan proactively for it. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Another way that I work is to to do like a brown bag lunch or a discussion group. So I can go into an office, you know, with several attorneys or um, wealth advisors or whatever, and uh, uh, we'll talk about 
cases that one or another person has. And uh, uh, of course, I sign an NDA before I do this, but right. uh, uh, we'll talk about the cases they have. And uh, uh, again, it's a lot like my next gen group. You know, the, the, the focus is on helping them share their experiences and learn from each other. And then I'll occasionally um, uh, chip in some suggestions about other ways of looking at things or, or other options they could try doing in a, in a particular situation. So that, that kind of covers it. So it, it ranges from more, right. more informal to more formal, more hands-on, you know, sort of front and center or more behind the scenes. So if I'm, I'm working with a family and they're in, okay. When I was a lawyer, you know, some, some lawyers have uh, attorney and counselor at law. I didn't have counselor in there at all. It was attorney at law. That's, you know, <laughs> I, I knew where my limits were. And, and so if I got that situation, how would I introduce the idea of bringing you in to a family that I'm working with? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, going back to what I, I said earlier about um, helping to develop the self-confidence of others in their own ability to, to uh, uh, solve problems and make good decisions. Anything that doesn't contribute to that, from my point of view, fosters de dependence. So this is a, a guideline that a principle that I keep in mind in answering a question like yours. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were to say, I think you should bring Paul in. <laughs> <laughs> you can use the principle I just articulated to evaluate uh, uh, the relative merits of that suggestion. In other words, um, is it, helping to develop their self-confidence and their ability to make decisions for themselves. Um, uh, I guess I, you can tell that I would lean toward perhaps not. Oh yeah. I mean, that's what I worry about is people going in and say, wow, you're so far beyond me. I need to bring in the guy, you know, the expert. I need to bring in, you need a shrink. I, you know, so that's, that's kind of what I'm saying is what kind of questions would they ask or, you know, how would they. Yeah. So, so what you, from my point of view, what you want to do is listen carefully for the desired outcomes that they've expressed. Um, you know, some people call these goals. I like this term desired outcomes because it, it adds to the, the word goal, the, the notion of motivation. You know, when we talk about desire, mm -hmm. these are things people are motivated to do or motivated to accomplish. So, um, it's not what we're trying to force them to do. It's what they're already motivated to do. So if they say, um, uh, well, we'd like to be able to talk this through without it devolving into a bitter conflict. Mm -hmm. um, then you could say, well, given that your goal is to avoid bitter conflict, would there be some value in bringing in a third party to facilitate the discussion you know as you had suggested earlier uh mm -hmm. rod yeah. um you know someone who's not tied to the interests of any one individual in the group and and you let them think about that question so it's their decision right <laughs> and uh uh odds are uh they might say something like well that's an interesting possibility you know tell me more 
uh, how would this work? You know, so then you can answer their questions, give them the information they need. But but remember, you want to keep them in the driver's seat so that it's their decision. And this is a way of minimizing what some people would call resistance. Right. Um, I prefer the word disruption to resistance. When, when I use the word disruption, what's going through my mind is the notion that um, when people are in control and they're feeling effective, effective, that's usually associated with some positive feelings. Mm-hmm. If you try to take control away from people, especially successful entrepreneurs uh, who are used to being in control, right. um, that generally is associated with negative feelings. <laughs> and uh, people have a variety of reactions to negative feelings, but one effect of negative feelings is it diminishes people's ability to think clearly. And in the absence of the ability to think clearly, people tend to respond more instinctively or more reflexively. And uh, uh, we've all heard about fight and flight and so on. on, Yeah, (laughs) yes, exactly. So so uh, what we're striving for is to is to avoid that sort of disruption or evoking resistance or anything like that. And so the more we can speak to them in a way that maintains our sense of control and increases their their own confidence and their ability to make good decisions, the more likely we are to, to be successful in making the referral. And, you know, we teach this in terms of, you know, what they say is fact, what we say is opinion. So don't tell them, ask them until they tell you. I mean, that's really kind of the training that we do. And you're describing a situation. I mean, I had a situation like that. And, um, you know, the dad was my client from back when, when I was an attorney and business owner started from scratch, typical situation, right? And some of the kids wanted to be in, some didn't. Everybody was afraid of dad. And he said, can you come in and help? And I said, well, I can have some expertise, but if I come in, I'm seen as you. I mean, you know, I'm just an extension of you. You know, do you think that would work? And he goes, oh, no, that won't work. He said, well, you know, who would you bring in? And I said, well, what exactly do you want? (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, let him tell me exactly what he wanted. And then, well, okay, I know this person and this is what they do. Would that be somebody you don't want to talk to? But it really is, especially you go back to the, the business, the person who started the business and is used to being in control, you start telling them much of anything and the answer is going to be no. (laughs) by the way you can use that to your advantage sometimes um (laughs) uh by by phrasing the question in such a way where the answer you want is no yeah (laughs) (laughs) so if 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 i've sent someone an email and they haven't responded a week goes by i might send them a follow-up uh email and i might say something like would it be safe to conclude that you're not interested and the answer I'm hoping for is no. <laughs> but that's that's just a little aside. <laughs> and and then really, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that the way it works from there is once is like if I'm bringing you in with the client, I introduce you to the client and then you're the one that's going to really engage or not engage with them. I mean, it's not up to me to to create it. You're going to have the conversations then with the whoever it is that's doing the the champions uh, we call them that's going to make the decision and go from there and determine what it is yeah really there, there there's no 
ideally, there's no STC involved in this. Uh, STC is an acronym I use to to uh, stand for selling, telling, and compelling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that uh, uh, goes against the goal of of developing the client's self confidence and their own decision making ability. So instead, you know, we want to think in terms of uh, providing information that allows them to make informed choices that are aligned with or in the service of whatever their goals are. Whatever their their desired outcomes are, yeah. And we yeah. use desired outcomes too. I mean, goals are one yeah. thing. Desired outcomes are something that's usually measurable. I mean, it's a it's an end result, not a I want peace in the in the world. You know, uh, kind yeah. Of <laughs> goals goals are often uh, expressed in a way that that lacks uh, specificity uh yeah. whereas right you're trying to drive toward uh more clarity and also you from my point of view trying to to tie it more tightly to to the notion of motivation yeah so if somebody's listening to this and they want to get a hold of you yeah or, or read more about you or anything is there a website or what how would how would somebody follow up and and contact you yeah so they can uh find my website it's paul at edelman coaching Oh, Edelman coaching. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, just like the football player, Julian Edelman. E-D-E-L-M-A-N. <laughs> He's from the shorter branch of the family. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Since we met in person. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. So edelmancoaching.com. Uh, or, uh, you know, I have a LinkedIn profile. It's just uh, Paul Edelman. Okay. If you type in Paul Edelman and any keyword like coach or whatever, you'll get the correct Paul Edelman. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, this has been helpful. I mean, it's it's something that that a lot of professionals deal with. They don't know what to do. I mean, you know, they see tension in the family or whatever, uh, and they can't handle it, and they don't know how to bring somebody in. And and I've seen a lot of them. We've worked with a lot of them. They get to that point. And they said, well, how do I tell my clients that they're so messed up? I got to bring somebody in. And it's like, yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> it's not, they're not going to bring them in. <laughs> yeah, Rod, your your uh, comment about you're so messed up, we need to bring somebody in, reminds me of the fact that you had Jim Grubman on recently talking about Wealth 3.0 right. and the movement away from fear-based selling and the use of the uh, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves parable. In other words, um, uh, essentially, uh, either scaring people or criticizing people as a way of persuading them that they need to put their faith in the advisor. So this, from my point of view, is an effective sales strategy, but it also has the effect of fostering uh, dependence. Right. And so in, in a more positive approach, perhaps uh, what Jim would call a more wealth 3.0 approach, we want to focus more on possibility, potential, positive outcomes. And so rather than saying you're so messed up, we would say, um, would it be easier to accomplish your goals uh, or capitalize on the strengths of your family or um, uh, whatever it might be if uh, you were to have this kind of help or that kind of help? Yeah. And uh, again, we're not, we're not selling, telling, compelling, we're not pushing. Right. We're simply providing information so they can make an informed choice. 
Yeah, and we phrase that in the term. My my son came up with this term one time. Somebody we were up speaking, and and somebody said, "How do you sell these people to pay you to do all this work?" And before I could say anything, Ryan goes, "We don't sell anything. We just unleash the motivation that exists within them." Yes, and, and well once put. They tell you all this stuff. This is what I want. Okay, so if would this help you get there? Yes, and they've set the motivation. So yeah, exactly. I think we're yeah we're reading the same. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, thank you very much. This has been, I think this has been great. Um, and if people want to get a hold of you, then it's, it's edelmancoaching.com and they can go there or LinkedIn. Uh, there's a lot of the professionals that, that are on LinkedIn. Um, and we hope you enjoyed this and we hope you will go on to one of our next podcasts and go back and listen to Jim's if you haven't listened to it already. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me on, Rod.